Thank you, Dan. Thank you for the warm welcome. Uh, it's my privilege and honor to share the word of God with you guys. Today's text will be in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 51, through chapter 8, verse 8. If you bought your Bible, please turn there. Uh, don't be afraid to use the table of contents. Doesn't mean God loves you less. All right? Doesn't make you less of a Christian. Use your table of contents if you must. Uh, we also have the text up here, so you can read uh, along up here too. Uh, I will just read the word of God for you, and you can listen along. Thank you. St- Stephen said, "You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors." You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Talking about Christ. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Sumeria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. There was great joy in that city. Let us bow our heads in prayer. God of hope, God of peace, God of grace and ultimate glory, we humble ourselves before you today, acknowledging that you are God and we are not. We thank you for getting us out of the snow. And we thank you for keeping our lives together. Everything is in your hands. 
Lord, as we come to your word, Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds and cut our hearts, heal our hearts, so that we may see the Lord Jesus Christ, so that the hearts of that the, uh, that, the, that the eyes of our hearts would see Him and behold Him and taste and know that He is good. Lord, I pray that uh, all of us in this room will witness You. And I also thank You for all the people who are visiting and thank You for the people uh, who do not know You yet. Uh, but by Your grace, we trust that You will also bring them closer to You, uh, hopefully through this message. It's in Your awesome and most holy name we pray all these things amen 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 uh, the title of today's message is rock's throne in the plan of god rock's throne in the plan of god i once heard a story about a toy boat that went out of reach on a pond one day and started to float away from the owner a little boy and the boat uh, began to flow farther and farther away, much to, the, uh, much to the disappointment of the boy. And he began to grow sad. And after a while, uh, he noticed that a man on the same side of the pond as he began to throw rocks at the boat, began to throw rocks toward the boat. And the boy said, stop, stop, sir, please, please. Do not destroy my boat. Stop, please. But then the boy realized that the rocks were not being thrown at the boat. They were being thrown over the boat. And as the, as the man was, throw, was throwing the rocks over the boat, they created ripples that would eventually push the boat back to the shore and into the boy's hands. Into the boy's hands. Now today's text... We see rocks being thrown. And no, uh, they're not being thrown by God. They're being thrown by men. They're stoning Stephen. And they finished the job. He fell asleep, the text says, or he died in, in our terminology. And when the church witnessed this, I'm sure they thought like the disciples when they witnessed Jesus on the cross, oh no, we're doomed, not again. And there are often times and many days when I feel like nothing is going my way. And as a pastor, as a Christian, follower of Christ, that nothing is going our way as a church. There are moments when I feel like there are insurmountable obstacles between me and my goals. And I feel like giving up. And I think that's how the people, the Christians that witnessed the stoning of Stephen uh, felt. Especially as they were scattered. They were dispersed, um, and they went into different parts of that area. Now, the big picture uh, of the big picture, the big idea of this story, this narrative I see is that the truth of God's big story, His grand narrative, the big picture of God's story, redeems, restores our little stories. It redeems and restores our little stories by renewing our vision of Christ while the ever-widening circle of the church reached the whole world. That's what I see in this text. 
The truth of God's big story redeems and restores our little stories by renewing our vision of Christ. While the ever-widening circles of the church reach the whole world. In other words, right now, what does that mean for you and I as we read this text? Nothing can stop the plan of God. Nothing can stop the plan of God for your life, for my life, for the body of Christ, and the spread of the gospel. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, God forbid that anything happened to Dan. But even if our elders went down, nothing will stop the plan of God. Nothing. It is completely in His hands. I want to answer three questions from this text this morning. One, what is God doing? God, what are you doing? The second question I'd like to share from this text is, what does God see? What does God see? And the last and final question we will arrive at from this text is what does this all mean? What does this all mean for them, for us, the church? What is God doing? Well, I want you to know that God has a plan. And the promises of God's plan are secure. The promises of God's plan are secure. Nothing is random. In this strange world of ours, all human activity is seen and known and matters to God. There is no maverick molecule out in outer, outer space. There's not a square inch of this world where God doesn't look at it and say, Mine. It is mine. Even on your worst day, God is still on his throne. He is there. And on this special occasion, there was no accident that Saul and Paul was nearby, Saul or Paul, a.k.a. Paul, was nearby during Stephen's execution. It was not a coincidence, it was not an accident that the man who would eventually write at least a dozen books in the New Testament was standing right there saluting the men who were stoning Stephen, commanding them. He was giving love to the people who were hating on God. And Saul and Stephen came together that day for good, whether they knew it or not. Some of you guys may remember uh, in the early part of this sermon series, The Church on the Move, in chapter 1, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples this. He said, well, let me just read from verse 6. And it says, And so when they came together, they were asking Jesus. The disciples asked him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? In other words, when are we going to get paid, right? When is a payday, right? And Jesus says to them, It is not for you to know times or dates which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
He's going further and further in that promise, geographically, locational. No, you ain't going to stay in this holy huddle. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to commission you. So what is God doing? God is keeping his word. God is keeping his word. All the way from chapter 1, before he ascended, and said at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you power, and then I'm going to send you out, and you will preach, and you will share about my grace, my death, burial, and resurrection. You will preach it. And you may die, but, it will, but there will be there will be great advancement. You may die, but the church will multiply. God has a plan. He's fulfilling his word. His word is bond. And there are a lot of things that seem to derail and distract and perhaps even destroy the hope you have in Christ or the hope you have in humanity, the hope you have in anything, even the idea of hope. But God has a plan. And His promises are secure. The promises of God's plan are secure. He is keeping His word to His people. He's keeping His word. You know, uh, some people ask me, uh, you know, how'd you become a Christian? What are you doing with your life? And, uh, you know, I have this, I think it's fictional. You know, every time I tell it, it sounds different. So I don't even believe it anymore. I have the story about how I became a Christian, how I converted to Jesus Christ, how I met him, how I found him, but he really found me. The secret discovery he was sought. Um, but, you know, as I dig deeper into the archives of my life, in, in, into my memory bank, you know, I realized that my testimony... God's plan for me uh, began when I was less than 10 years old. I might have been 7 or 8, but I I was definitely less than 10 years old. My parents used to own uh, a convenience store. We call it a corner store. uh, A mom and pop shop on Braddock and North Avenue uh, on the west side of Baltimore. And I remember that uh, my parents uh, opened that store every day. And they they worked so many hours. Backbreaking hours. And unfortunately, my mother and father were not raised Christian or never, never born again. And my mom and dad taught me that uh, black people are inferior. They, maybe your parents taught you that too. I don't know. But my parents ingrained in me, they indoctrinated me, and they taught me that black people were inferior, that they're lesser. And as I began to observe uh, what my parents went through, getting cursed out by their customers, we, get, we got robbed, my, my dad had a gun pointed at him. Uh, I remember coming home one night and our place was just trashed because it was burglarized. I said, maybe my parents have a point. Maybe they're right. Maybe, they, maybe black folks are the uh, um, inferior race. But you know, there's a little old lady across the street from my corner store looking back, who changed my mind. This little old black lady, uh, she lived right across uh, my, my dad's corner store, and he, she gave me uh, my first Bible, 
My first Bible, I remember, uh, it wasn't like a real Bible. The title was My Bible Stories. Right? My Bible Stories. And I, I, I still remember the color of the book. It was the color of gold. Color of gold. Or, or mustard. Uh, depending on what you hunger for, right? Uh, and I looked at this thing, and I was like, oh, thank you. And it wasn't new. It was old. It'd been used. And I was used to new gifts. And she had given me a hand-me-down uh, children's Bible. Uh, but, uh, you know, in my ignorance, I, I, I still took it. Uh, and I remember going home, and I read through it. And I read through it, and I read about this um, this God and how he had rescued people and healed them and showed them mercy. And I think about this woman. You know, she could have loved anybody in that neighborhood. She could have loved anybody in that neighborhood. But she chose to love someone that came into her neighborhood to exploit, to invade, and to prey on, on the disadvantaged. You know, my, my father and mother, we, 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 you know, we came to the neighborhood and we hustled. We hustled hard. We worked hard. And in many ways, we did take advantage of the ghetto. Ain't no doubt about it. We took advantage of the food stand. We took advantage of the welfare checks. I mean, they put food on the table and uh, put a Lexus in our driveway. But you know, in this text, how many people, if anyone, thought that in the crowd, in the chaos, in the anger hostility, that the successor of Stephen was sitting in the crowd? Saul was in the crowd, and he was going to carry the baton. The, the torch was going to get passed to him. And nobody, nobody could imagine that the person, somebody in the crowd, would carry the gospel. But you know that old black lady? She may not have known much, but she knew God had a plan. And his promises are secure. And she handed me that Bible. And she didn't think that a little old Korean boy, she probably thought I was Chinese, the little, little boy, little, little Korean boy across the street is going to carry the gospel one day. Be a successor. Because you know she's about to pass on. She didn't know that. I didn't know that. She could have loved any little boy in that neighborhood. And I'm the only Korean boy in the neighborhood. And she loved me. She shared the gospel with me. And I realized, wow, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob could be my God. Now, that Bible and that woman and that encounter did not convert me. It did not make me a Christian. But like Saul, a.k.a. Paul, when you get converted, when you are born again and you become a Christian, you remember the great cloud of witnesses. You say to yourself, well, I can't be unconverted now. I remember them. No turning back. There's no turning back. When I remember women like her, I remember the people that love me in my mess. 
There's no turning back. You know, in our church website, sometimes I'll visit. I like to see what's going on. Um, and there's a section, there's a tab where you can click, and it tells you why we exist. Why does the village exist? And it says, we want to see God made famous in Baltimore. As these diverse people experience gospel transformation, equipping them to be sent out on mission as leaders to their respective communities. And I love this last line. It's a stunning, messy, and beautiful picture of God's kingdom. It's a stunning, messy, and beautiful picture of God's kingdom. What does it mean uh, to glorify God? To glorify God means to make our lives obvious that He is Lord and Savior. It's to make Him beautiful. We want Him to be famous. We want Him to be known and get all the attention. And how do we do that? By trusting Him and loving others. By trusting Him and loving others. God has a plan. He has a plan. In all of this, and all of this ground zero wreckage. The next question is what does God see? What does God see? The watchful eyes of God are upon us at all times. The watchful eye of God are upon us at all times. And this is why the Lord says, Vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. Didn't God see the unjust stoning of Stephen? An innocent man dying? Why did God stand by and stand for this? Literally, he stood. Why did God stand by and then stand for this? Literally. Yes, it is true that Stephen's death seemed to be a terrible blow to the advancement, the cause of the church. But as I mentioned, no one, no one, could see that the successor was at hand. Do you see what God sees at your workplace, in your communities, in your family? Because I come from a family that no one knows Christ. No one follows Jesus but me. There is no fear for the church because God sees everything. The church's greatest champions are concealed among her enemies. And they will be called in due time. When I look at the faces of the people here, I see people who were once enemies of the cross. Perhaps you are still an enemy of the cross. But I preach with love and I preach with compassion and I preach with grace and mercy because I know concealed in the seas of people that we try to reach. God sees things that I don't. And I want to see with the eyes of my heart. And because God sees all things and he sees everything at once, God knew that the stoning of Stephen would break up the church, yes, and cause the spread of the gospel. He knew the stoning of Stephen would stir the hearts of men and women. 
who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it will spread the gospel. In the, in the doom and gloom of life, God is sowing seeds of hope. He was sowing seeds of hope and preparing great joy to a people, a people for himself. A people for himself. You know, in verse 4, chapter 8, it says that there was great rejoicing. There was celebration, a parade for those who received and trusted in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that in your, even in your worst sins, and it's the worst sins that have been committed against you, that in your horror and in, in your living nightmares, that God works all things for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Do you believe that? Do you want to see this? See, all of our trials have an eternal purpose. Let me share from a short, a little episode of my life. You know, when I, uh, I became a Christian around the age of 15, and I took my first overseas mission trip to Lima, Peru at the age of 19. And during that time, I experienced a defining moment in my life. I, I, would, I may be exaggerating, but it, it seemed cataclysmic. It seemed like, it seemed like another, uh, another stage or a second wind. And this defining moment did not happen on the mission trip or in preparation for the mission trip, but soon thereafter. Less than a few months after my mission trip, you know, you're on the spiritual high, you're feeling good about Jesus, you're feeling good about the world, and you feel invincible. But not for long. Things fell apart. Because on a, a very cold December night, you know, my house, uh, my front door was, was knocked down by a SWAT team, by the police. And uh, they didn't show me a warrant. They didn't, they didn't, I, I didn't even know it was the police. I, I thought I was going to die. And I was relieved when they handcuffed me. Because <laughs> I said, oh, it's only the police. <laughs> I was actually relieved when they put the handcuffed me. And, and, they, and they beat me, they bloodied me, and then they dragged me outside, and they humiliated me in front of my neighbors. And that night, I went to jail for a crime I did not commit. And I was hanging around the wrong people. And you know, no disrespect, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, but you know, I think, I think for some people, we all look alike, you know? And they got the wrong man. I was like, I'm not him. And the guy was like, you want to get maced? I was like, no. <laughs> I'm him. <laughs> So I just submitted to the authority, and they dragged me to jail. That uh, They dragged me to jail. I remember uh, I, was sit- I was sitting uh, in the back of the paddy wagon. I remember uh, the cops were singing Christmas carols. Because it was December. And I was so angry. I was mad. 
And I said, God, where are you? Help me. Do you see where I am? Do you see me here? And I still a young Christian. I didn't, I didn't know that many praise songs. But, you know, I, I, I pushed the jukebox and I started singing to the Lord. I started crying out to him. I said, God, God, do you see me? Do you hear me? I need your help. You know, God did not speak to me in an audible voice or a clear sign or vision, but he gave me his peace and he gave me his presence. And God let me know that he was watching me, that his eyes are upon me. And because of that affirmation, because I'm his son, uh, I went to that jail cell with newfound confidence, peace, and unspeakable joy. I had, I had one phone call. You only get one phone call. And I remember I didn't call my mom or dad. I called the guy who might have put me there. I said, hey, stop. Stop. Please stop. This is not a place for us. We don't belong here. We don't belong behind bars. And then when they put me behind bars, I started to talk to people about Jesus. I said, why are you in here? And they got angry at me. and said, why are you in here? And I realized it was none of my business. But it was my business to tell them about Jesus. And I told them about Jesus. And that night, I realized all our trials, all the trials of the church have eternal purpose. The obstacles in our lives do not restrict us. They recreate us into the image of Christ. Into the image of Christ. And I also realized that night, like Stephen, like the early church, that God's grace will take precious things from you. God's grace will take precious, precious things from you. But it will not leave you poor. It will not leave you poor but give you the better riches of Christ. Oh, I want to know him and be known by him. I want to see him and I want to see people like him. Become like him. The seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. The primary martyr is Jesus Christ, the first missionary. God sees us. He stood for, for Stephen. You know, we, if you know your scripture, you know that God sits, Jesus sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. But for Stephen, he stood. He stood. Living for what you love the most is the same thing as dying to yourself every day. Living for what you love the most is the same thing as dying to yourself any, every day. There is no higher calling in life than to lay down your life for your friend, for your master, for one another. The last question that we want to answer from this text is, what does this all mean? What does this all mean? Now, some people say when they're trying to keep it real or be harsh, 
They say, what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. And this serves true for Stephen. What you see is what you get. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of your faith. And all the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. What Jesus has said to us and done for us paints a picture of the Father and leads us to everlasting life. Therefore, what we say and do before we die will point people to Christ. What we say and what we do before we die will point people to Christ. My friends, ultimate shame does not come from failure as a church. I think ultimate shame or shame in itself comes from succeeding at things in life that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I know that these early disciples and Christians, they ask questions like, when will you restore our kingdom? When will you restore the kingdom of Israel? And God messed it up even more and spread them out everywhere. God promises that if we put our trust in Jesus, we will never be put to shame. If we put our trust in Jesus, we will never be put to shame. The world may look down on you for following Jesus, but heaven does not. It does not look down on you. You know, Stephen's death made a profound impact on Paul, who later became the world's greatest missionary. They would not tolerate Stephen or his words. They dragged him out. They cursed him. They humiliated him. And they made him pay by stoning him to death. But I want to encourage you, if you are sharing Christ with someone in your life right now, even those who oppose Christ now may turn to him later. Even those who oppose Christ now may turn to him later. Do not give up. Press in. Press on. Press into the love of God. You know, I'm not uh, up here asking you guys to, uh, to literally die. I'm not asking you guys to give away everything. But I, what does this all mean in regards to our pursuit, our joy? You know, Stephen didn't lay his life down because he wanted to leave a legacy or because he wanted a statue erected in his name. Stephen laid his life down because for Stephen, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, if you enjoy living for Jesus on earth, and the only thing that's better than living for Jesus on earth is to meet him face to face. But if you do not enjoy living for Jesus on this earth, then why in the world would you want to go to heaven? If you don't enjoy God on earth, 
you can't, you, you're not going to enjoy God in heaven. It's pointless to go there. Stephen knew that Christ claimed him. For Stephen, his joy, his reward, his everything is Christ. Christ alone. And for Stephen, Jesus stood for him. Yes, because he is a lowercase s son. But also because of the uppercase s son. See, the only thing that's going to motivate you and spur you on to share the gospel, to preach the love of Christ, is this truth. What makes you beautiful to God? It's not dying in the middle of the street while preaching. What makes you beautiful to God is not giving a lot of money away. What makes you beautiful to God is Jesus. What makes you beautiful to God is Jesus. And that's why we lay our life down. When my mom and dad came to this country, from South Korea to America, Baltimore to be exact, they said to themselves, we're going to get rich or die trying. We're going to get rich or die trying. And they came to this country to give me all the things they could never have. To give me the better life, the abundant life. Even if it meant to cut some corners and do a few illegal things. But it's not an accident I'm in this country. You know, some people may think it's an accident I'm in this country. It's not an accident I'm in Baltimore. It's not an accident that at that time Korea was poor because of the Korean War. It's not an accident that my parents thought this was the promised land. But I, I know this, that what's, what really saved me was not my mom's plan, was not my dad's plan. Not the plan of my family or the plan of immigrants. It was the plan of God. Because God brought me here so he could save me and preach the gospel. I'm only here standing before you right now because God has a plan for the church. And he sends his people where they need to be. I don't know where God wants to send you. I don't know where God wants you to go. I don't know who God wants you to love. But you must follow him. Jesus lost the only thing he ever cared about on the cross. A personal relationship with God. And he gave that up so we could have it. He was abandoned and deserted on the cross so that we could be welcomed in. And that's why he stood for Stephen. Because on that cross, Jesus lost the love of the Father. You know, my parents may, may believe it's an accident or a mistake that I'm a pastor or a Christian because they did not come to this country so that I could become a pastor. They didn't come to this country. So I would, so they, I mean, they, all parents want you to do better than them. But I, I'm not making as much money as them. I'm not flourishing. They're doing, they're well-to-do people. I, I'm a big disappointment to my parents. 
following God, trusting in this gospel, there will be great opposition. It may wreck your home. You will lose friends. The grace of God will take many things from you. But you will not be poor. You will be rich. We will have one another. And we will have one another because of the bond of Christ. I'd like you to bow your heads with me at this time. I'd like to just pray for you. Father, I thank you that it was not an accident, but you so loved the world, you gave your one and only son. It was purposeful, it was intentional and deliberate. And you sent your son into this world because you loved the world. That whoever believes in you will not perish, but have eternal life. And you did not send your son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You are such a savior. You save us from your wrath. You save us from yourself, by yourself, and for yourself. We praise you, O God. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.